Greetings, everyone, and welcome back to the Preacher's Corner. On this Friday, I'm Pastor Jay, and today we're going to be getting into 2 Corinthians chapter number 10. A lot of great things to be able to discuss as far as pulling down those strongholds that exist within us. So, going to be a really good day. So, hang tight with us. Let's start in a word of prayer and rejoice in all the Lord will provide us today. Father, we are grateful to you, and we do thank you, Lord, for the blessing of this time that we have together. We pray, Lord, that you will give us wisdom as concerning the, the inward man and the realities, Lord, of those challenges we face between the two natures that we live in. Father, as before our salvation, we only had the natural flesh to contend with, and, and Lord, we were ultimately a slave to those passions and desires that exist within that natural flesh, but coming to Christ and being delivered from that, being redeemed by the blood of Christ to set us on a new path with a new birth, with the Holy Spirit capable of guiding us at this point. Yet still, there is that war of the old nature that we live in, and so we pray that you will give us wisdom. Father, that indeed Paul's ministry will be proven uh, true instead of those among the Corinthian church that would be trying to lead the people astray from what was taught by Paul. This is a certification and a call to the certification of the ministry of Paul. And Lord, it's from that pulling down of the strongholds that exist in our hearts and bringing everything subject to Christ, which is truth, that we may be able to do better. So, Help us, Father. Bless us, Father, as we consider these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> All right, guys, coming to the Scripture today. We're going to read Second Corinthians chapter number 10, and we're going to pull in here the first six verses. And so that the Scripture would say, Now I, Paul, myself, beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence and base among you, but being absent and bold toward you. But I beseech you that I may not be bold when I am present with that confidence wherewith I think to be bold against some, which think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. So, a very extremely important first part to this message that the Apostle Paul will give today and the message that we have before us today. Very important point is because the war that, that you will find often is existent in your heart. That's where the war is taking place. The difficulties you might find externally, those those things in the flesh, those those illnesses and all of these other things that, that debilitate or hold us back or make us weak as concerning the flesh, those are all external issues that that impact the internal realities of the heart. 
wear us down, cause us to doubt, give us reasons to worry, give us reasons to, to question. And all of these things are meant to be able to shake your faith, really, is it is the corruptions of our nature and, and the corruptions that Satan had put in place that are meant to drive our hearts to a position of, of questioning, of doubt, as we said earlier. And this is the issue that Paul would come into play here in, in verse number three, is that their ministry was being called into question because there were those that would be saying, well, those guys, they're no different from us. They're, they're flesh. They're walking in the flesh. They're, they're, they're teaching you by the flesh, right? So what, what makes them any different from us? And thus Paul certifies his, his ministry as being recognized from verse number two. He says, I think to be bold against some which think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. In other words, that their teachings would be according to the flesh and that their guidance and their leadership would be that which is according to the flesh. Paul saying uh, uh, completely to the contrary, we're a people of spirit, not a people of flesh. We long for the Spirit's leadership. We long for the Spirit's voice. We trust in the Word of God, for the Word of God guides us by the Holy Spirit unto that which pleases the Lord. It gives us wisdom to know what is right, what is wrong, what is good, what is evil, for God is good. And so he's the only one with the correct definitions of, of being able to explain to us what is bad, what is evil. And so it all comes down to that which is spiritual. But of course, even in our modern day with the majority of Christianity that happens to be carnal because we've got to have the lights and the smoke and we've got to have the the, the rock and roll, we've got to have all of these things carnal, all of these things sensual to to draw out or elicit a feeling of emotional response that we call worship when the reality is, is that worship is so much deeper than that. Worship is, worship is beyond those carnal things because it exists in spirit with the Lord. And so, we, we drive for the carnal because it's what causes our sensations to, to leap, what causes our emotions to rise. But in reality, that's not spiritual. That's carnal. <laughs> and so he says, I think to be bold against some which think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. He says in verse number three, for though we walk in the flesh, and, and that's kind of an obvious, right? I mean, it, existence in this world is in the flesh. So obviously we walk in the flesh. And, and this is one of those areas where you have logical fallacy, where you're conflating two things together. You're saying that because a person exists in the flesh, that that's all that they are. And of course, we know the reality of that to be wholly untrue, because you're much more than just the body that you live in, right? So that we understand the differences between that which is carnal and that which is of the flesh, and we understand that which is, is of the Spirit. Jesus teaches uh, Nicodemus in John chapter number 3, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. We see that there are two total, totally different distinctions 
within any given person of that which is flesh and that which is spirit. Now, of course, we all come into the world in the flesh, which is why Paul would say, for though we walk in the flesh, we all come into the world in this carnal existence, in this flesh, and we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God because of the corruption of the nature of this flesh. And so, we all need that new birth, that spiritual rebirth that comes from the Holy Spirit coming inside of us, leading us to Christ and the acceptance of the gospel and, and redemption and forgiveness of sins ultimately at the end of that acceptance. And so that we become born again, which means that we are revived from the dead nature of this flesh to the living nature of the Spirit of God. And so Paul says in verse number 3 of 2 Corinthians 10, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. In other words, we don't fight the good fight. We don't contend with the world by the flesh and through the flesh. We don't we don't fight our war the same way that a soldier fights for his country in the flesh. Because he, he goes on to say the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not those things external. They're not those things that, that are outside of us. He said that the, the weapons that we have are mighty through God. Because the principal weapon that we have is the Word of God. And the Word of God is recognized, of course, in Hebrews chapter number 4, verse number 12. We see the Word of God again proceeding from the mouth of Jesus in Revelation chapter 19 as the sword that proceeds from His mouth and devours His enemies. And, of course, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says that the Word of God is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. So, we understand from Ephesians chapter number 6, beginning in verse number 9, where you start to talk about the whole armor of God, that we have that sword, and, and that that sword is of the Word of God. So, we realize that, that these weapons that we possess, one is the Word of God, and faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God is the principal weapon that we have to be able to win this battle of the of the flesh in the world. The Word of God is our guide, just as it would say in Psalm 119 and verse 11, that your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. Again, the Word of God is recognized as a lamp, and it's recognized as a light in Psalm 119, 105. So that we, we ultimately realize that, that the, one of the most powerful weapons in our arsenal that we fight with is the Word of God. But our fight is not to take this and beat people to death with it, trying to get them to convert. Our weapon is that we reveal this truth to the hearts of others. We make known the realities of why such evil is existent in our society today. We make known the realities of why death exists in the world today. We make known the realities of the questions that are existent inside of people's hearts 
through the Word of God, thereby leading their hearts into being able to trust the Word of God so that they could ultimately receive the Word of God and be saved. So this is one of the mighty weapons that we have in our possession that is not carnal, even though you have a book, even even though I could come over and I could pull up my Bible and here we go, I've, I've got my, my Bible with me, even though I can pull the Bible out and, and it's a it's an a an existent book, it's it's something that is solid in the hand that you can hold, that you can handle. Yet what's within the covers of that book, what's on the pages of that book, is the very living word of God. It's the very it's the very power of God in, in those words that once spoken from the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you comes alive to the hearers that, that would be there to receive it. And of course, as the Holy Spirit lives in you to speak forth the life of the Word of God to others, the Holy Spirit is also working in the other people to be able to receive that Word of God to believe that word of God and to to know that it's true. So this is one of those great weapons that we have in our arsenal. But also another weapon that we have in our arsenal is, is prayer. Prayer, a communication with God that, that happens through the Holy Spirit that lives in you. So keep in mind, all of these things are not happening from a carnal perspective. All of these ha things are happening through the Spirit that actually gives life, that actually is power, that actually makes the, the changes that are necessary. So prayer is a mighty weapon that we have that, that not only changes the world around us, but changes us. It's through prayer that we we lift up our voice unto the Lord for for acknowledging acknowledging the correction that we might have to accept when the Holy Spirit convicts us. It's through prayer that that we ultimately change the the way that we think about other people because as we pray for them, it's very hard to remain hateful towards them. It's very hard to remain. Uh, angry with someone that you're praying for. If you if you have somebody that upsets you a great deal, just start praying a lot for them. All of a sudden, your your heart's going to change toward them because it's impossible to stay angry. It's impossible to stay frustrated with somebody that you're praying for because God makes those effectual changes in you as well as utilizing your prayers to help make effectual changes in the person prayed for. So understand that prayer is a mighty weapon that, that can change not only the world around us as we pray for God to act in those events of the world around us, but it also is a mighty weapon that, that changes us. And so the Word of God being a powerful weapon, prayer being a powerful weapon, we, we see that there are a lot of things that are in the Christian's arsenal that actually are insanely powerful for us to be able to use. And the Lord gives us instruction. The Lord gives us understanding and guidance on how to use those things and how to serve him effectively with those those weapons that he has given us.
None of them are carnal. None of them are, are weapons that are meant for the purpose of destruction. In the arsenal of God, all of those weapons that we possess are all meant for the uplifting, are all meant to bring life, to give life, to save life. So that's very important to understand. <laughs> he says, for the weapons in verse 4, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Again, in Hebrews chapter number 12, beginning in verse number 1, we would be told to, to uh, cast away all of the sins and, and those weights which would easily beset us, as a word, knock us off course or offset us from, from following God, from knowing Jesus. And then verse 2 says that the author and finisher of our faith so that we see that that it's it's the pulling down of those strongholds well the word of god is is extremely capable of being able to knock out all those sins which easily beset us from serving the lord isn't it the word of god is capable of causing us to recognize the error of our life the error of our ways of course that's what led us ultimately through the holy spirit to confess our sins to god and to receive salvation as you have come to faith in Christ. All of these things came from the Word of God, again, of course, because Romans 10 would teach us so simply that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So understand that, that all of these, these things, they come from the power of God's Word. It's right there for anyone to be able to handle. The challenge is to actually have to open the book. And, and I'm not talking about lost people. I wouldn't expect lost people to really give a rip about what was written in the book because they don't respect God or the things of God to begin with. And in fact, as many lost people have a Bible somewhere in their house, as saved people do. And the sad truth behind this is that most of the saved people read their Bible as much as the lost people who possess one. And that's a sad truth to have to, to mark and make known, but it is a reality because if more of the Christians that claim to be in this nation had a solid basis of what the Word of God says, and we, by the way, would be faithful to execute those things which our Father in heaven has commanded us to do, with that knowledge of the Word of God and the willingness to execute the things that He has commanded us to do, the world, the world, at least within our own society today, would be a wholly different place. For the gospel would be would be preeminent, and the Word of God would be the standard of our country's morality once more, and we would be a people who ultimately, even the laws being governed by the morality which would be found in the scriptures, we would be a people who would be more morally upright, standing for those things which are good and holy, and not even considering those things which be wicked and evil and against the word of God. And so we find ourselves as a society wholly separated from the things of God, 
seeking once more for our weapons to be those things carnal instead of the the mightiness of God's weapons which pulled down the strongholds. Now, not only does the Word of God have that perfect authority to be able to destroy those those sinful desires and those those strongholds that may be existent in our nature of the flesh while we we begin to know our Father from the point of our salvation, we can destroy those strongholds, but also prayer. Once again, prayer. I'm not talking about the table prayers that that exist for 30 seconds sitting around the table thanking God for food. And I'm not talking about those those scripted prayers that are written down that people often are found inside of church reading as they they make their prayers and and visitors to the church might think, "Wow, these people really are really good at prayer." But ultimately what you find with that person looking holy and 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 with face bowed down and in prayer is that they are uh, reading that prayer in the script and and the person is not catching on to that right at the front. And so that they would be a people who would be uh, just reading through those prayers, really, even though this person's going, wow, it was a very powerful prayer. What, what they discover is, is in, in weeks and months as they start paying attention to things, that their heart is disillusioned at this point by the church because the prayers are not real. They're, they're read from a script instead of being genuine from the heart. And so people are turned away from God and that. So we realize that, that not only is the Word of God one of those powerful weapons that pulled down the strongholds that beset us from serving the Lord, but a genuine and true prayer life will also work with the Word of God to pull down those strongholds, a real prayer life. Acknowledging God as a real God, acknowledging the work of Christ in us as, as a genuine work, acknowledging the Holy Spirit as a, as a living entity that, that exists within us to connect us to the Father and the Son, acknowledging acknowledging the the truth behind God's throne and his position as king of kings and lord of lords and submitting ourselves in 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 prayer even though like it would say in Hebrews chapter number 4 that we can come boldly before the throne of grace we understand that that casting ourselves before the footstool of the throne of grace is a recognition that, that He is almighty, that He is holy and righteous and true. He's mighty God. And so just, just those, those weapons right there that pulled down the strongholds that would keep us from walking with God, keep us from talking with God, keep us from serving our Lord. These are the weapons that we possess. But not only are they powerful, the word of God in prayer, not only are they powerful to the pulling down of the strongholds that keep us back from the Lord, but they're powerful to our heart as well, recognizing verse number 5. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. This is one of those sections where I often ask people, after I've read verses 5 and 6, I ask people, have you ever thought about what you're thinking about? And that's a very important point to, to have to consider today. 
Have you ever thought about what you're thinking about? Are you thinking about what you're thinking about right now? <laughs> it can become a little bit frightening when, when you consider the reality of thinking about what you're thinking about. And the reason why I'm saying it this way is because there exists within the human heart a great amount of imaginations. I was just having a conversation a, a couple of days ago about a statistic that I had once found uh, about two years ago as concerning uh, the pastoral ministry and the reality that, that I think at that particular time that it was somewhere in the high 70s, low 80s percentile of, of pastors that took this particular poll that were willing to admit that they were they had an addiction to pornography. And of course, this is this is a very powerful stronghold over the heart of of the man, aside from the ministry that he desires to to devote to the Lord, aside from the work that God is has called him and them particularly too, this is something of the nature of the flesh that has a stronghold over their their heart and and that drives them into this this corruption even as it would be because of the recognition of an addiction even as it would be against their own volition that their their flesh would have such desire over this that it would overrule the senses of their mind to be able to keep themselves unspotted from the world as the scripture says and that they would fall to this addiction they would fall to this temptation now it's the same if you if you had an addiction to food it's the same if you had an addiction to alcohol or you had an addiction to drugs several pastors that i've seen over the last 20 years that would be removed from a pulpit and have to go through through rehab from from alcohol uh, addictions and different things of that nature so we find that there are great many strongholds that exist within uh, the human's flesh, the nature of the flesh. And, and the only way to overcome and conquer those things is through uh, the Word of God in your heart. The Word of God, it, it really, you're flooding your soul with a, a continual study of the Word of God to build up that weapon within you to be able to fight against those addictions, those strongholds that have your flesh but also that position of prayer that position of prayer that that gives you strength before the lord in the holy spirit of the moment but it isn't a prayer that's going to be scripted again it isn't going to be a 30 second prayer over over food oh god i'm feeling this addiction come upon me help me deliver me from this moment amen it's not going to happen it's going to require a a a solid prayer life it's going to require it's kind of like the the disciples who couldn't understand why they couldn't cast out that one devil and the guy was complaining the 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 father of the child was complaining to jesus saying look your disciples couldn't cast them out what's wrong with them and jesus of course he can he does and then his disciples come around him and he said all oh, you faithless generation <laughs> you know Jesus said sometimes it requires fasting and prayer in order to be able to conquer these things. And and his disciples, they just didn't get it. And oftentimes we're in that boat with those disciples. We just don't get it. And that's the reality behind this 
is that uh, they just miss that point. And, and oftentimes it's easy for us because of the, the strength. We don't really pay attention to the reality of the strength of the strongholds that would keep us down. And, and those strongholds is recognized in verse number four that need to be pulled down are defined in verse number five as the imaginations. Now, recognizing several places in the Old Testament where God would, would bring a wrath against rather Israel for, for chasing after the gods of the lands that they would inhabit or God would bring a wrath against those those people who would raise themselves up as being ungodly, uh, as recognizing that the imaginations of their heart were only evil continually, the scripture says. And so that God uh, is not looking at the outward activities. This is another one of those places where it gives me an opportunity to be able to explain the difference between iniquity and sin. As recognizing iniquity as being that which is generated from within the heart of man. It's, it's that which exists inside the depth of the heart, which is a very powerful place that brings those strongholds into existence and really can overcome and overthrow a believer. And so iniquity is what happens inside a person. Now, sin is the outward activity of what iniquity has birthed. So, sin is the actual activity, the actions that would take place from what was born out of the iniquity of the thought life. So, we could say it this way, iniquity exists within the thought life, where, where these pulling down of strongholds exist, where these imaginations are. And sin exists in the flesh life. Sin is what's happening externally. It's what's happening outside of you to, to bring forth the corruption of iniquity that was in you. So the imaginations of verse number 5 and the high things, these are all existent from the iniquity that would be in you. That would actually, this iniquity, that would be warring against the holiness of the spirit that is also inside of you and planted there by God to seal you unto the day of your redemption. So you can see where Romans chapter number 7 really comes alive in this place of 2 Corinthians chapter 10 because is recognizing the fact that we still exist in the natural man, in the flesh of this body. We also acknowledge that having the Holy Spirit, we now have opportunity to be able to live for God in the righteousness of Jesus and, and under the holiness that the, the Spirit can, can bestow upon us to be a servant of God. But we still have the existent nature of this flesh. And so we're either going to bring the flesh into subjection to Christ or our flesh is going to suppress the power and working of the Holy Spirit in us. And the Apostle Paul clearly makes that known in Romans chapter number 7 as being that the things that I know I'm supposed to be doing often are the things that I find myself not doing. 
and the things that I know would not be pleasing to God, those things that I know I should not be doing are the things I find myself doing all the time. He said, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Well, the, the clarity of recognition that though in my inward man, in my inward heart, I want to serve God, I want to live for God, I want to, I want to make Him known, for I know what He's done for me. He saved me. He sanctified me. He's, he set me on His holy path and loves me. I mean, I want the world to know my God in the inward man. <laughs> now, the outward man, the, the, the man of this body of death, this, this flesh, it wars against the inward man of the spirit because this flesh is not perished yet. This flesh, it still has its wants. It still has its remembrance of sensations and feelings. It still has its emotions. It still has everything that previously it once had. It still has all of that input and information, that sensory input. And it still has a drive for those desires that were before salvation. It, that flesh, that body of flesh still has all of that in it. And at the new birth of, of the revived heart in the Holy Spirit, you now have every day to contend with that nature of the flesh. You have to gain the upper hand as it was to fight against the nature of that flesh. Within that flesh exist those imaginations. Within that flesh exist those high things that exalt itself against the knowledge of God. Inside of that flesh, it, it just, oh, it's riddled with sin. <laughs> There's no, there's no easy way to say this. There's no comforting words that can be given, which I think up in verse number one is why Paul would say, when I'm among you, I'm, I'm kind of uh, base. I, I seem to be kind of cool when I'm among you, but in my letters, I'm writing, I'm beating you to the ground. In my letters, I'm bold toward you, is, is, is that there is this recognition of this, this, this flesh, and, and when you meet Paul, he seems to be a very mild and a very meek and a very calm individual, but that's because this is a man who is constantly having to, to wrangle with his flesh. Remember uh, the Apostle Paul when he was Shaul of Tarsus before his conversion to Christ. He was a very raucous man. He was a very, very, he was a warrior uh, a priest, as it was. Well, he was a Pharisee, but he was a warrior. He was out with letters from the Sanhedrin arresting people. He was locking people up. He was killing people and thinking that he was doing God a service. Then when he is converted to Christ, all of a sudden you have this man who is very restrained when you meet him, when in presence of Paul. 
but there's a reason behind that. He he is a warrior in the flesh, and so when he comes to the church at Corinth, he restrains himself from much of what his flesh would have him do. And and rightly so, because much of what his flesh may have him to do would be wrong. It would be uh, wicked. It would be hateful. But when Paul sits down and, and he grips that pen and he seeks the Spirit's authority to, to correct the issues as he begins writing, indeed his writing has has done his war for him. His writings are the boldness of Paul because this is an avenue by which he can bring out all of his heart and all of the Holy Spirit's wisdom that is contained within him without his flesh getting in the way of actually harming the work of the Lord. So when you meet the Apostle Paul, he's a totally different character in the flesh than what you read from his letters because he is constantly having to bring his flesh into the subjection of obedience to the Spirit in Christ. But with his words that he's able to write in the authority of the Holy Spirit, he can use all of the boldness that is Paul to communicate. And so it's really interesting when you consider that Paul has a mastery of, of his imaginations, of the knowledge of his imaginations, I should say. Not that he has a mastery over them, but that he has a mastery in recognizing that they exist and submitting them to the Holy Spirit. Doesn't mean that he was a perfect man. Doesn't mean that he kept a perfect way all the time. But he had a mastery of recognizing, which is why when you met the guy, you would read the letter, meet the guy and say, is this the same person? <laughs> because... He understood in his flesh, in the nature of his flesh, those imaginations. He understood those high things that exalt themselves in Paul against the knowledge of God. And so in the flesh, he's constantly in a war that he talks about in Romans chapter 7, that he's, he's seeking to bring that flesh under the subjection to the Spirit within him so that he can live for God in the Spirit and not according to the flesh. And so there is this constant battle. But praise God the boldness of a man in his writings. Hallelujah. That we may benefit from them, by the way, to understanding that we too have these challenges of the nature of our flesh and that, and that we recognize just in these first six verses that it is necessary for us to cast down those imaginations as we recognize them. To recognize that we, we have weapons such as the Word of God and prayer that give us strength to pull down the strongholds that keep us back from serving Christ, that we are indeed capable of bringing into captivity, recognized in verse 5 at the end of it, that we're able to bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And that'll shock your world right off. 
that he says, having in a readiness, verse number six, a revenge, uh, the readiness to revenge all disobedience when our obedience is fulfilled. Now, the revenge of all disobedience is not a revenge of disobedience against other people, or as it was other people's disobedience. It has nothing to do with other people at all. It has everything to do with us. This isn't these first six verses of 2 Corinthians 10 are not dealing with other people's issues, is dealing with who we are as individuals. And that's what needs to correct the, the errors and direction of this nation. Individuals need to recognize their, their estate before Almighty God. Individuals need to pull down the strongholds that exist in their hearts. Individuals need to recognize the imaginations that exist inside of them and recognize the, those high things that have exalted themselves above their, the person's knowledge of God. Individuals need to bring themselves under subjection of repentance before the Lord and get their heart right with God. It's only when the individuals will be willing to, to do such a thing as that the, the peoples of the cities and the peoples of the counties and the peoples of the communities and the peoples of the states and of the nation will begin to turn around, will begin to change from the godlessness that exists in our nation today to a position of godliness so that we may serve the Lord once more around the world as the center of the gospel that we once were. But it's only going to happen through the individual's acknowledgement of the imaginations and high things that have exalted themselves inside that person against the knowledge of God and has kept them from serving the Lord, that we would be prepared and willing to repent and bring every thought to the obedience of Christ, that we would take captive the things that are happening inside of us and bring them to the subjection of Christ. And that when we are, as individuals, prepared to revenge the disobedience that exists inside of us toward God, when we are, when we are fully prepared in readiness to revenge that, then we will become obedient to the Lord once more. But we have to get to that position. Or things will continue to get worse. They will not progress and get better. We have to consider that today. And then we'll look at uh, the rest of 2 Corinthians chapter 10 at a later date. Uh, perhaps we'll just go on to 2 Corinthians 11 and you can read through 2 Corinthians 10 and just soak up some other nuggets, but that you have this one beautiful nugget in the first six verses to really contend with and have to think about. Because there's of necessity a need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind to that good and acceptable and perfect will of God, which is found in the Word. But we've got to be a people that are in it. And so let us turn to the Lord. Father, we are grateful for your blessings today. We ask that you will be with us. We ask that you will give us, Lord, what we needed. That we may be able to come before you 
in genuine heart, repenting, Lord, of those imaginations and of those high things that have beset us from growing in our knowledge of God. And, Lord, that we may be able to turn from our wicked ways so that you could hear, so that you could forgive, and so that you could heal our position. Lord, we thank you and praise you for being our God and for having the patience to suffer, Lord, through our many fleshly ways. And we pray that you will continue to guide us, teach us, and Lord, it'll be well with us. In the blessed name of Jesus, amen. Well, God bless you guys, keep you guys, and cause his face to shine upon you guys, and we shall catch you uh, Sunday, 1030. We have our Thanksgiving preparation service. Uh, Hallelujah for Thanksgiving that is coming up, and praise God for the families that may be able to rejoice in this time of Thanksgiving. And then on Monday, we will get right back into 2 Corinthians chapter number 11, and I hope to see you on the corner. Uh, during that period of time. So God bless and take care.